Our reading this morning is from Luke. It is up there, 736. Uh, Captioned in my Bible, Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled? You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the moment I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she... Loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. May God bless his word to our hearts. Thanks, Ross. Maybe I can get some uh, hands up from the kids, or probably the adults as well. Who of you likes sour lollies? Oh, that's good. Yep, me too. Sour lollies, sour worms, that sort of thing. When I was a kid, I was a huge fan of warheads. You remember those? Does anybody remember the hot warheads? Yeah, Yeah, I think it was like cherry and grape. They took them off the shelves for some reason, probably caused ADD or something. But you've got to love the name of those lollies, don't you? Warheads. You know, these are like violent lollies for the toughest of kids. And by the way, about a decade ago when I discovered toxic waste, you know, sour candy. You might have seen that one as well. I celebrated that too. Again, more dangerous lollies for the risk-taking sweet tooth. Does anyone feel like one of those lollies right now? 
But you know that feeling of eating something sour, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the squinting and the puckering and the cringing that happens. You know, a bit like when you or someone scrapes their nails down a, a blackboard. The feeling that was harnessed uh, by the cringe comedy craze, particularly in the early 2000s, you know, after people got a taste of Ricky Gervais and the BBC office, they just couldn't get enough of this, this kind of enjoyable pain of, of watching you know, incredibly awkward people and situations. They just love that idea of, of embarrassing stuff. But this concept of, of being embarrassed by other people, it's only too real, isn't it? Maybe for the older kids here and teenagers, put your hand up if you haven't been embarrassed by your parents, ever. I'm not seeing any hands. There you go. Put your hands up if you, all of you, if you wouldn't be embarrassed if I just stopped right now and started doing Jim Carrey impersonations for the next five minutes. Yeah, it's not going to happen, but (laughs) I know you would be. Or have you never felt any embarrassment or awkwardness when you walk past a homeless person on the streets of the city? Why is it that we get embarrassed by other people? I think there's, there's two reasons. Either we are self-conscious and so we're really concerned with what other people think and, and, and whether, you know, we're hyper aware of, of needing to fit the social norms and we don't want to stand out and look foolish. Or the other reason, I think, is, is we're arrogant and we are demanding of other people what those social norms should be and, and we sort of think, well, people can't live up to that or they fail that, we cringe and we think, oh, you know, I don't want to be a part of that, I don't want to associate with them. And, and most likely it's a bit of both. It's a bit like when the paralytic's friends break the roof apart in order to get their friend in front of Jesus. I mean, embarrassing, nobody does that, that's, that's rude. Or when the bleeding woman gets caught touching Jesus' cloak and and he stops and there's this embarrassing, awkward scene. It's like, lady, you should be staying home, you're unclean. Or when Jesus just keeps hanging out with sinners and and prostitutes and tax collectors. It's like everybody around him is thinking, cringe, why does he do that? Why doesn't he mix with respectable people? And this woman that we just read about, I mean, she's definitely an embarrassment, isn't she? She comes into this respectable man's home and and starts weeping and crying all over the place. Can't she keep it together? At least until she's in private. And and crying all over the, the guest's feet and then wiping them with her hair and then kissing them and then and then pouring perfume, probably harlot's perfume over his feet. I mean, talk about cringeworthy. And this is what Simon's probably thinking with that arrogance and that self-consciousness we talked about. Doesn't Jesus get how embarrassing this is? If he was a true prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is, that she's a sinner, that she's unclean, that he shouldn't be anywhere near her. He should have, he should have said, away from me, as soon as she walked in the house. Judge, judge, judge. 
And the question each one of us needs to consider this morning is, who do I most identify with in this story? The woman who, like so many others in the Gospel story, just had to get to Jesus. They just had to get in front of Him. It didn't matter what other people thought. They saw in Him hope and they had to get there. Or maybe the Pharisee, who was embarrassed by and judgmental of this woman's uninhibited display of emotion and gratitude. It's not the done thing. Who would you more likely be in that setting? Who would you more likely be? Who, who are you more comfortable being? I know my answer, and it's not the answer that I want. And see, we're comparing and we're contrasting these two characters because that's exactly what Jesus does. He says, you know, Simon, you didn't do this, she did that, and he compares them. And by doing that, in the rest of this passage, he shows us what true religion is really all about. He says to Simon, I've got something to tell you, Simon. And Simon's response, we might guess, is a kind of polite, maybe begrudging sort of, you know, if you must, I'm listening, what is it? And by the way, let's not flit over the fact that here Jesus is responding to his thoughts, as he does at other times. Simon is there thinking, this guy can't really be a prophet because he doesn't know these these things about people. And here's Jesus reading his thoughts. He knows a lot more than Simon does and what he would guess because he's God's son. He has the authority and the power of God to read minds. And so Jesus tells him a a mini parable. He says, two people are in debt to a money lender. One owes a hundred grand and the other owes ten grand. Neither of them can pay the debt, so the money lender forgives both debts. Who will love the guy the most? And notice that he uses the word love. You know, for his mercy, who's going to love him the most? And Simon responds in a begrudging way because it's a simple question and he's starting to get the vibe that he's being put on the spot here. And he says, I suppose it's the person who owed more. And it might get you thinking back, uh, a few weeks ago we looked at the the Good Samaritan and Jesus says at the end, who was a neighbour to this man? And the, the teacher of the law says, I suppose it was the guy who helped him. These guys don't like being put on the spot. I suppose it was the one who owed him more. And Jesus says, it's exactly right. Bang on. And see, then we expect Jesus to go and and explain what this forgiven debt represents. That's certainly what I was naturally inclined to look for. What is this debt? What's he talking about? But Jesus doesn't actually do that. He doesn't go on to talk about our spiritual debt before God. But instead, he compares their actions towards Jesus on that particular night. This is where he goes first. So he turns to face the woman, but he keeps talking to Simon, and he starts by saying, do you see this woman, Simon? 
And if you're, if you're Simon in that situation, you'd be like, uh, like, duh, of course I can see her. Who wouldn't see her? Look at the spectacle that she's making. But Jesus is asking a more penetrating question. Do you actually see this woman? Do you truly see her? Not just who she was or her reputation, but who she is. Not just her profession, but whose image she's made in. Not just the outside, but what's happening right now on the inside. Not just her sin, Simon, but her redemption. Do you see her? And we could ask the same question of ourselves as we look at a passage like this. Do you see this woman? Do you see what's happening here in this story? Jesus is imploring Simon to consider what her actions are displaying of her heart and what his actions, or lack thereof, are displaying of his heart. He says, I came into your house, you're the host, Simon, but you didn't give me water to wash my feet. That was a custom. If you have a guest of honour, you give them water for their feet. You didn't give me a kiss of greeting, that was another custom. Or oil for my head, that was a, you know, a custom to refresh the person after perhaps some travel. But this woman, she washed my feet with her tears and her hair. She kissed not my cheek, but my feet, my dirty feet. And she poured oil not on my head, but again on my feet. And not just cheap oil, but expensive perfume. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. See, Jesus isn't saying that her love has earned her forgiveness. He's saying that her love is a response to forgiveness. Just as he talked about in the parable. Her love is the fruit of forgiveness, the evidence of forgiveness. And so he wraps it up with Simon by saying, whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And he could be saying to him there, your love is also the fruit of your forgiveness and there's not much to see. And see, this is the very heart of the passage. It's all about forgiveness, yes. But Jesus is approaching it via its evidence. Via what's lived out. He's commending the love and the gratitude that's shown by the woman. And he is challenging Simon on his lack of love. And through them both, he's, he's calling us to consider the love and the gratitude that we show as a test of our deeper awareness of Jesus' forgiveness. Consider your love for Jesus. Are you like this woman? Does your gratitude outweigh your self-consciousness? 
Does it produce in you a heartfelt response or a, a stirring of passion? Does it move you to action and inspire your will? Or are you embarrassed to show any signs of it? Think about when you worship. Do you allow yourself to truly express your love for God? And I'm not talking about emotional response to, you know, melodies that we like, but deep gratitude for the truths that we sing or consider, you know, that move our spirits to lift up God's name in praise? Or are you too wary of what people will think and maybe even embarrassed by the way that other people engage in worship or judgmental of the way other people do? Perhaps you want to express your love for God like a Pharisee. Go to church every week, tick that box, go through the motions, even with a stony face and a wall around you, mouth the words perhaps without contemplating or considering the truth behind them. Pray without really talking to God. Contemplate the message with your head but don't Let the Holy Spirit drive it home to your heart. Ask yourself, am I embarrassed to love Jesus? Am I too proper to love Jesus? And what about your love for others? Jesus calls us to treat the least of His children as we would treat Him. I was watching a clip this week on YouTube, a preacher talking about what it means to love your church Um, and challenging, challenging those who are listening because we all say, I love my church, it's a great church, I I love the people, I love my church. And he said, how much do you love the hardest, weirdest, most frustrating person in your church? That's how much you love your church. Not how much do I love my friends and the fact that my friends are at my church and that's, it's really fuzzy and nice. How much do you love the hardest ones? Do you love the broken like this woman? Do you humble yourself in service like washing feet? If you're like me, you've never washed anyone else's feet but I think there's a symbolic thing there. I mean, Jesus Himself does exactly the same thing, doesn't He? And I'm sure when He washed His disciples' feet, He would have remembered this woman. He would have remembered this act of gratitude. Are you willing to be open and honest and real with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you willing to sacrifice possessions or wealth or status or security in order to serve others or to give to others or to love others? Are you willing to put aside the love of others for you in order to love others for them? Or are you the Pharisee who sits back and judges? 
Do you look down on the strugglers and feel embarrassment at their situations or their actions? Do you keep your distance so that they won't drag you down to their level? Do you pass by those who are in need and keep your head up because others are watching you and they might judge you the way that you might judge them? And if all these questions don't make you feel at least a little bit uncomfortable, I know I'm uncomfortable when I write them and hear them. If they don't make you feel uncomfortable, I wonder if there's a bit of self-deception going on. But if I was to stop here and, and simply tell you to try harder at love, be more loving, I wouldn't be much of a gospel preacher, would I? Because Jesus doesn't want these probing questions to fill us with guilt. Shame on you, shame on you. That's the kind of stuff that was already going on in this culture. Now, he wants to point us to the heart of the, the passage, to the best motivation for love, which is forgiveness. The gospel itself. Why? Because a lot of forgiveness equals a lot of love. And a little forgiveness equals a little love. See, Simon's a Pharisee. He lacks love because he has little experience of forgiveness. All he knows is the law and, and his own morality. He, he, he doesn't understand his deeper affliction because he doesn't, he's not aware of the size of his debt. He thinks he's this close. This close to achieving righteousness himself. The woman shows much love and gratitude because she knows the forgiveness of Jesus. She's only too conscious of her past, of her sin, of her debt before God. And so in the face of Jesus' forgiveness, she cannot express her love and her gratitude enough. And who cares what people think? Who cares what people think? And so when we recognize that our love for Jesus and for others is waning or struggling, we don't need to just try harder. We need to return to forgiveness over and over and over again. We need to rediscover it by acknowledging our debt before God. Because it is an infinite debt. Depravity, rebellion, disobedience, rejection, sin, all of this before a holy, perfect, pure and sinless God. We cannot pay that debt. It is an impossible debt. And when we try to, you know what it's like? It's like trying to pay off your home loan with monopoly money. That's what it's like. It's worthless. It's pointless. Only Jesus can pay that debt. And that's what it means for him to forgive us. He pays it by giving up heaven and becoming a man and then by dying on the cross and defeating death. He pays that debt. And this is our motivation for love. That we who deserve death have been given eternal life. And the gratitude for that reality should last us 
a lifetime and an eternity beyond. You know, there won't be a shred of embarrassment or awkwardness or self-consciousness in the new earth. Not a shred, not a, not a glimpse. No such thing. And we start overcoming that in this life for the sake of Jesus. Gratitude causes us to love and praise God, unhindered, forever and ever. And it causes us to share and to show His love to others as well. So next time you're embarrassed by Jesus or embarrassed to worship Him, think about how crazy that is. Think about it. Was God embarrassed to make the world and people in His image knowing that they would fail? Was He embarrassed to make a covenant with the stiff-necked Israelites knowing they would fail, but yet using, trying to use them to bring hope to the world? Was He embarrassed to send His Son as a man not to be revered and lauded, but to be mocked and humiliated by the very people He went to save. Was he embarrassed to persevere with a useless human race, like a carpenter using a blunt saw or a stick instead of a saw? It's about how good we are, isn't it? But to persevere through love and grace and mercy because he had a plan in Jesus. How could we be embarrassed to worship a God like that? that forgiving, that loving, that loyal. Next time you're embarrassed to sing your heart out or maybe to lift your hands or to make mistakes or to pray out loud, remember His forgiveness. Next time you're embarrassed to chat openly with somebody, maybe to cry in front of them or to have someone else cry in front of you. Or to pray with someone, even if you've never done it before. Or to lead people despite your weaknesses and your reservations. Remember his forgiveness. Next time you're embarrassed by a beggar, or maybe by a neighbour who does things differently to you, or maybe by a workmate who's a bit strange, or maybe by some other random person, or even a friend. Don't judge and avoid. Remember his forgiveness and serve. Next time you're embarrassed to give something away, because what it might result in financially, or to reconcile with someone because you've got to humble yourself, or, or perhaps to ask someone for accountability and temptation because it's vulnerable and you've got to own up to sin, or perhaps to tell somebody that you love God because they don't know it yet, or maybe just to have a conversation about Jesus because they might see it as weird. Remember His forgiveness. And it's not a guilt thing. It's a gratitude thing. Remember that Jesus has said the same thing to you as he says to this woman. Your sins are forgiven. 
Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What does that mean, go in peace? It means go and live out the peace that I have instilled in your hearts through my forgiveness. Go and live in response. Go without embarrassment. Love me and love the least of mine. I was reminded very, very poignantly just last week of what it means to respond to the forgiveness of God. We often think that our calling is to live our lives. But I think when we believe in Jesus, our calling is to give our lives. And doesn't that make all the difference? We go beyond living our lives. We give our lives, just as Jesus does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for sending your Son to forgive us our sins, to conquer death, and to give us life. Thank you that he came to save sinners like us. And each one of us should be able to say, we are the worst of sinners. Thank you that we have this wonderful story of an interaction between him and a sinful woman who lived trapped by sin, trapped by a situation and found freedom and forgiveness and hope in Jesus. Lord, forgive us when we've been the Pharisee, when we look down and we judge people, when we're ashamed by people or embarrassed by people. And forgive us especially, Lord, when we're embarrassed by you. Because Jesus came to do strange things according to our cultures. And ultimately to die. And sometimes that embarrasses us. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to see that it is not an embarrassment, but an assurance and a triumph and a joy. And help us to live in gratitude like this woman without without embarrassment, without worrying about what people think, without self-consciousness, but in confidence, knowing who you are, what you've done, what it means for our lives and how we can live for you in future. Help us, Lord, not just to live our lives and especially not for ourselves, but to give them because of the gospel.
And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So before us, we have the supper, the Lord's Supper, to bring us back to forgiveness, time and time again, doesn't it? To remind us of forgiveness, to nourish us and sustain us with forgiveness. Maybe one of the kids here can tell me, why do we have to have food and drink? Does anyone want to give me an answer? Why do we have to have food and drink? Let's go, Lila. The bread, you're way ahead of me, Lila. The blood is Jesus, uh, the juice is Jesus' blood and the bread is his body. That's good and we'll come to that. Anyone want to tell me why we just need normal food and water? Yeah, Emma. Yep, going back to the Passover, you guys are too good for me. Indeed. We need it to stay alive, don't we? food and drink to stay alive, keep our bodies alive. And we have the Lord's Supper for the same reason, but not as much for our physical bodies, although we have real food and real drink as a representation, but we have spiritual food and spiritual drink to keep us alive, to sustain us, to nourish us. Jesus says that His bread represents His body and the juice represents His blood. His body was broken, His blood spilled for us. And the Lord's Supper reminds us of why we love God, doesn't it? Because He has forgiven us. And we give thanks, just like we do at the beginning of any meal. We give thanks, we say grace, because God has given us everything. Even new life. And like we often share meals with other people. And it's great, isn't it? have a dinner party. We share this one too because forgiveness is something we share together. We celebrate together. And it's with Jesus' love and forgiveness that we love each other and forgive each other. So anyone who joins this meal this morning must believe in the forgiveness of Jesus on the cross and that it applies to you. They must be sorry for their sin and willing to give that over to Him, find freedom in Him. And they must be ready to forgive others and to love them and serve them because that's what it means to be Jesus' friends. If any of the kids here feel this way, you guys should chat with your parents more about it. Ask them what it means for them to take part in the Lord's Supper. And if you're visiting with us and you don't believe in the forgiveness of Jesus, or maybe if you're a member here and you are refusing to love and forgive a brother or sister, then we just want to ask that you would just observe today. But let it speak to your heart, the message behind it. And come and talk afterwards if you'd like to. Myself or one of the elders are willing. So why don't we say grace before we have this meal together. Father, we thank you for this meal, Lord, and all the food and drink that sustains us. We thank you especially for what this meal here represents, 
your forgiveness, love, and salvation. Please bless it to our souls, just as physical food blesses our bodies. Strengthen our spirits with the joy of forgiveness and help us, Lord, to share our sustenance with each other. Not just in the common faith that we share, but also in our willingness to love and to serve and to forgive each other. And Lord, for anyone here who doesn't believe, we pray that you'll show the beauty and the simplicity of Christ's forgiveness on the cross. And for anyone here who is stuck in unforgiveness, we pray that you will release them and fill them with your love to find that freedom. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.